Ali Baker. She, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at the University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by John Coxon, scientist, con runner, and one of the hosts of the excellent SF fandom podcast, Octothorpe. Hello. What have you been up to recently? Hello. Um, I have been frantically editing Octothorpe because I was at a convention this weekend and I did not have as much time to edit as normal. Um, so we were at Core Flu, um, which was very good. There were about 30 of us. So kind of a gentle reintroduction to conventions for me. Um, but yeah, that was very nice. Um, Is that a fa- the fanzine con? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was comfortably cool. the youngest attendee. Um, that's always nice. <laughs> um, and it was in Bristol. Uh, oh, so it was very good. Yeah. Bristol's lovely. It's it's a fabulous city. Um, yeah, my, yeah, my first con was Fantasy Con. My first con after two years, which was also, well, wasn't as small as Cool Flu, but it had about half its normal membership I think about 300 um, but it okay. was in a huge hotel so it felt really nice because um, we could socialize in quite a distanced way which was yeah. nice um, and also that the rooms the rooms never felt too full mm. for the panels and stuff like that so that was lovely I think what the people who were there uh, the vendors found it a bit disappointing, but um, I loved it. I had a great time. Uh, and you, you know, did you did a live episode with Tiffany Angus, which I, I listened to, which is very good. Did and that was so much fun. And um, you know, it, that was really nice. I was very nervous about it, but it was very nice doing it uh, in person, so to speak, mm. and hearing people laughing at our jokes. So that was really, really good. We're doing our first live recording at NovaCon, which is this weekend, and I am yeah. very nervous about that, uh, similarly, because we haven't done that before. And yeah. I'm like, how will it work? Um, hopefully well. Yes. Um, well, the, the, the issue I found was what I thought was going to be the recording setup wasn't the recording setup. But I, luckily, I have, I have friends <laughs> who have um, proper recording devices and stuff. So I got... Um, a recording from Edward James's uh, phone and a recording from Jeremy Carter's proper little dictaphone thing. Um, and uh, yeah, and it worked fine. Bit of a sound bleed. That was the, the problem. But that was, I think, if you're recording off mics, it probably, but then you don't get to hear people laughing and yeah. uh, making, making comments. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So um, you have chosen um, a book that I had never heard of before, which is always very exciting, but by an author that I certainly read a lot of as a, as a young teenager. So you chose Rebecca's World by Terry Nation, who famously uh, is the um, Doctor Who, um, uh, one of the original Doctor Who book authors. And I think he invented the Daleks, actually. Yeah, so, he did, yeah. Yeah. So um, can you summarise the plot for us? Um, So a girl called Rebecca is very bored and she closes her eyes and walks about in her house to see what will happen. And what happens is that she ends up in her father's study next to his telescope that she is on no account allowed to touch. Yeah. And then she touches it and she, she gets transported to a different world a different planet um and she kind of meets three well she actually meets four different men um one of whom is an incredibly grumpy scientist who dislikes children and the other three of whom are um a trio of unlikely heroes and then they they kind of go on an adventure um 
and the the world she lands on is a world where uh sort of an evil businessman has mm-hmm. discovered how to make glass from trees um and has cut down all the trees in order to become fantastically rich but the problem is that it turns out the trees were protecting everyone from monsters uh and so um said fantastically rich man has built shelters out of the remaining wood and he charges you money to go in and twice as much to come out um and it's basically a story about trying to find the last remaining tree in order to bring the the forests back and and banish the monsters Mm. um and then this kind of forms the the basis of of their adventures um and and in some ways it, it kind of reads like a a children's Doctor Who serial because it, it kind of takes the form of several it, or, or it or it kind of reads like the Hit Dragon's Guide to the Galaxy and that it, it's kind of several relatively disconnected scenes which are strung together by a quite linear narrative. Um but it, it is quite fun and uh and, and does make you laugh. Um yeah. So yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. And in particular I liked the description of Mr. Glister who's the the baddie capitalist um and i i just loved like the i i visioned envisioned him as sort of a bit looking a bit like liberace in the kind of very over the top uh, outfit and uh i i just i you know i don't know i maybe i'm a sucker for a, a glamorous baddie but um i i liked the description of him and he is kind of unredeemed badness there is no there's no nuance (laughs) to it um but yeah I I found it very enjoyable and I think that had I read this as a child I think I would have adored it um but it is it's um it's out of print now isn't it it's not it's not that easy to get hold of so yes I have found out that you can get it on audible if you have an audible subscription and it's read by that chap from plague seven whose name escapes me okay yes um but yes like a a kind of clear british televisual science fiction link there um and i kind of tempted to try and track the audiobook down because that does sound rather good um but yes i've had i've had my copy since i was a child uh so i i hadn't realized it was out of print until um i chose it um yeah so i I asked my dad to send it from home um and this is the copy i had when i was a kid this is my copy Ah. uh with uh rebecca and the the main uh captain k and um the other guys on it the the bad spy and the the man with the bad feet and this published was published in 1984 so, mine is, yeah, mine is 1994. Um, so I would have been six, six or seven, probably. Yes. Yeah, I'd have been at secondary school when this was published. And in 1994, I was a, in my first year as a professional teacher. But then, you know, I'm, I'm about 100. So um, that's why I, I tell my students, I, I started teaching in 1753. And, and I think some of them believe me. So, yeah. So can you remember your first reading of it? Yeah. Um, So I was at primary school um, and the head teacher, Mrs. Jones, um, it it was one of her favourite books. And so I think, and I can't, I I must have been in year two or year three or something like that. Uh, and she read it to a, a kind of a, a group of kids. And I don't think it was the whole class, but I can't remember what the logic behind the split was or whether we kind of did something with her and then the next group did something with her or what. But she she kind of read it out to us over over the course of several days. And I, and I fell in love with it then. And I think at least partly because... Um, she obviously had a lot of affection and a lot of enthusiasm for it, which I think obviously helps when someone's kind of very fond of a work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I kind of, I, and I think when I was a kid, I I really enjoyed comedy. And, and one of the things I love about it is that it is quite a funny book. And I think her, she was, she's a very 
wry woman uh and so i think she was able to kind of do justice to the kind of the 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 style and it and it kind of reminds me of, of douglas adams or that kind of like mm. that that wryness that doctor who had when it was doing its funny episodes it, it kind of has a lot of that in it which i think appealed to me uh even as a kid yeah i i think that um i kind of talk to my my teaching students a lot about um the importance of funny books because i do think that a lot of the kind of the, the books that get a lot of plaudits tend to be quite serious um, and often quite tragic, which is fine. I mean, that, that there is a place for that. And, you know, there are books that I really love that are, are serious and, and sad, but there is also a place for funny books. And funny, I think, is really hard to do well like proper generous humour, not kind of punching down humour, David Williams, but, you know, the actual books that make you, can make you laugh out loud are very rare. Um, One of my favourites is um, Andy Stanton's Mr Gun books, which honestly I can't read in public because they make me laugh so loudly (laughs) and they're so silly. But, you know, Terry Pratchett as well is another another author that makes me laugh a lot. Um, And and his books have a lot of depth. And um, but the the funniness kind of helps make the point quite a lot of the time. Um, So, yeah, I I think writing, um, you know, writing a serious book is is a lot easier than writing, you know, properly funny comedy. I think, yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think part of the thing is that I think it's easier to write. I, in a way, I think comedy is more personal than serious um, fiction. I think, I think kind of if something sad happens in a book, it is relatively likely that you will find it sad or or you will understand why it is sad. But if someone tells you a joke that there are not many jokes, which are universally uh, funny because obviously senses of humor are incredibly personal. Um, And so I think, I think it's, it's kind of, I've always wondered whether comedy gets less plaudits because it is so much more subjective, I think Mm. in some ways. Um, And so, and so, yeah, I think, I think you're, you're completely right there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think also a lot of the time that um, adults sort of when they're choosing books for children often choose books that they think are going to be good for them. Yes. Like, I think like it's like eat your sprouts. They're good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this very serious book. It's good for you. Mm. I've been blessed with teachers through my life who who really um, kind of were keen to uh, develop my fondness for reading, um, except for my French teacher, because he he got very annoyed that I kept reading, re- reading English books under the um, table in French lessons, which was apparently not uh, what we were supposed <laughs> to be doing. Who knew? Um, but... Um, but like, so, so the teacher that recommended me this, very fond memories of reading this, I did yeah. have a teacher that recommended me uh, Far From the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy when I was about 12. And I have to confess, I bounced, I bounced quite hard off that one. Um, um, at thought, 12, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was less funny than this, I would argue, uh, in many ways. Yeah, I, I must say that Thomas Hardy is not well known for his uh, belly laughs in his books. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if I would appreciate it more now. I haven't gone back to it. Maybe I should. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's a coincidence that like my route my route into fandom was through Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fandom. Yes. Um, and I and I think kind of comedy comedy has been a huge formative thing for me through mm-hmm. my life. So and and I think this book is kind of one of those moments. Um that was kind of a formative um, moment because I do, I don't remember much. It, it must be one of my more, it's probably my most vivid memory from primary school. Mm. Um, I, I really remember engaging with it very hard. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think that all of my good memories of primary school uh, pretty much revolve around um, 
teachers reading, teachers reading to me, or, you know, me suddenly discovering at the age of seven that I could actually read. I didn't know until I was seven that I could read. Um, so yeah, I think things like that uh, are really important. And books, books have always been really important to me. I, um, my dad uh, and I have quite a similar sense of humour. And so we both love Pratchett, and both love Hitchhikers and, you know, we both love P.G. Wodehouse and, and things like that. So, yeah, funny, funny books are, are my thing, definitely. So it's, as you've mentioned, it's, it's kind of, um, I had to look this up. Yeah, this is a thing. Um, bit embarrassing as uh, someone who's doing a PhD in literature, but I had to look up the picaresque novel because it's something that it kind of, I kept thinking picaresque, picaresque when I was reading it. And then I thought, it's a long time since I've read a picaresque novel. Let me go and check. And it, it sort of, some ways it is because the picaresque novel is generally a lowborn person. It's told from a certain first person perspective. It's, um, you know, someone who's a bit of a trickster um, and a bit of a waster. But it is a plot which is a sequence of loosely connected events. And that is what a picaresque novel is. Um, but it really reminded me of The Wizard of Oz as well. Um, I mean, are there other books that you've read that were sort of like this? Oh, it's Do Doctor, Doctor Who crossed with The Wizard of Oz, maybe. I'm trying to think. I... I'm not sure there are. It it feels um, like you say, kind of kind of loosely connected events. A, a lot of the books I have um, on my bookshelf from kind of when I was younger. Um, so so one example is um, Harvey Angel, mm. um, but that that my recollection of that was it was telling a much more structured story. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, and I think, I think I'm probably remembering books I read when I was slightly older than I was when I read this. But the mm. other one that comes to mind is the, um, the Grusham Grange novels by Anthony Horowitz, which yeah. I loved. But again, I think, I think probably had more coherence to them. Um, I guess the other one is, is um, the first Harry Potter novel, which although like at the time i think probably i thought it was very well structured and very cohesive looking back it is a bit of a kind of of of, of a i think the later books are much more overarching plot driven mm. um but the first couple are much more kind of a sequence of adventures happening in a school um but i think i think this is the most because i've never experienced the wizard of Oz. i, I never saw the film um uh, when I was when I was younger, and I have, still haven't rectified that now. So um, I know what you mean, but only kind of through the osmosis of of having picked up many cultural references, and I, yeah. I kind of know the vague plot of the Wizard of Oz, but I don't think I've ever really um, kind of interacted with it directly. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Um, totally. And I think I mean there did go. It was a point in my childhood when uh, the Wizard of Oz and uh, Sound of Music were on TV every Christmas or you know every Easter or every you know bank holiday or whatever and I I mean I love it it's one of my favorite films but um yes I think the kind of ubiquity of it kind of people got a bit fed up of it maybe uh you know 20 years later or whatever in the early 90s it wasn't on the telly anymore but yeah it's um I, I think that that's quite a fun thing, though. It's sort of like a feeling of going going on a journey with the characters and you're experiencing the adventures with them. And um, it's it's all it's quite on the surface. You know, you don't really get what you're told are the characters are characters motivations is what their motivations are. There's no, not a great deal of, of subtext to it, but that's fine. It's just a really fun, really fun read. 
Can we talk a little bit about the character of of Rebecca? Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, one of the things that I found quite interesting is in the illustrations, it looks like she's, you know, this, the book was set in the 19th century or the early 20th century anyway. She's got a long dress on and she's got pinafore on. And yet I, I didn't really feel as though the, the narrative kind of upholds that, that setting. Um, it, I felt I didn't, it didn't feel like a historical story, let's say. It felt like a book, you know, that was written in the eighties. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I think I don't know why the. I, I really like the illustrations, but mm. I, I don't know. I don't know why the illustrations kind of um, chose to use that kind of more old-fashioned style of clothing for her. Mm. Um, I think. I wonder whether it's because the illustrator was used to doing illustrations for kind of older books, but I don't know. Um, I, I also wonder whether are we, because in many ways the book is an obvious kind of um, reaction to, this is very serious, uh, mm. but, but it's a reaction to Thatcherism and, 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 um, uh kind of there is a sequence in which well and and there's a character called mr glister and the first time Mm. we meet him we kind of get some subtext because we get terry nation kind of writing him as as a kind of the a kind of conservative character Mm. who he says that there's a there's a part where he says um poor people make me feel rich and when i feel rich love gushes out of me like a fountain so it's my duty to make everybody poor so they can all share my love and um later it turns out that in fact he knows that he is cruel and greedy and a bully uh and that this is a veneer and it's very difficult not to read um thatcherism into that um and i think that i I wonder whether the illustrations are an attempt to slightly divorce it from that context to try and make it slightly less on the nose but i don't know whether that works although having said that my memory of this book is far less um a memory of an anti-capitalist um uh novel than than it was when i reread it i i I kind of describing it to people i was like well they chop down all the trees and then monsters come and it's like well this is fairly obviously an allegory for kind of humanity's use of resources and stuff when you Mm -hmm. describe the plot like that but then when you read it, and, and Mr. Glister is so obviously um, a very greedy, capricious man and and kind of so obviously obsessed with wealth um, at the expense of kind of everyone else, um, it, it, it's very overt. Um, and, and you can see Nation's kind of anger with the situation shining through. Um, and kind of, I was, I was quite surprised by that in a way. Um, and so, I, yeah, I wonder whether the illustrations are an attempt to soften that slightly, but I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Um, I also wonder about um, whether, you know, at, at the time that this was published, and steampunk wasn't really a thing, and neither was cyberpunk, but maybe, maybe it's kind of they didn't want it all to look very futuristic, you know, both. I don't, I mean, obviously, I don't know whether Terry Nation had any kind of input into Larry Learmonth's um, illustrations. But yes, it's sort of, um, yeah, sort of trying not to make it all sort of very obviously like talking about the future because, you know, as you say, like the deforestation and um, the kind of beginning of the conspicuous consumption. Uh, part of the Thatcherite um, and Reaganomics, maybe they didn't want it to look that, as though it was, you know, way, way, way in the future. It's actually much more present. Um, mm. And of course, in 1975, when this was first published, um, you know, maybe the early 20th century didn't seem so in the past as it does now when we're kind of more than a hundred years from it. Hmm. So 
yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thought. Um, I absolutely loved uh, Captain K and his kind of shabby uh, homemade superhero yeah. outfit and laddering his tights and. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, and, oh, and, and fitting him very well. A, a hero that dons his tights, um, which kind of now I'm and now I've said that I'm like, oh yeah, kind of tying into the sustainability and like this mm. is a hero who repairs his clothes instead of just buying new clothes. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's a and and, and there's a there's a brilliant bit um, towards the end of the novel where Rebecca says although his clothes are kind of more tattered and and kind of. Um, obviously structurally compromised he seems to fit them better because he has kind of gone on a on a hero's journey in his own way um yeah. i should know I, I i did quickly double check and i think this book was first published in 1975 which was the year that thatcher became the leader of the conservative party yeah. so i don't know whether obviously kind of the full the full flow of those economics had not quite uh, got going yet but presumably there were um I mean, I wasn't around to know, but presumably that wasn't just out of the blue. Presumably it reflected kind of where the conservative policies were going at the time. Um, um, but yeah, no, Captain K, Captain K is an amazing hero. I, I, I like him very much. Uh, and the other two uh, heroes are Grisby, whose feet hurt. Mm. Um, that is his sole character trait, yeah. his sore feet. And Kovac, who is a spy, uh, and he's a very good spy, I think, in that he has lots of disguises. Yes. And that must be good. Yeah, but he's an unemployed spy. Yes. I don't <laughs> suppose you know anyone who needs any spying done, do you? No, said Rebecca. <laughs> Just brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of the many parts that really made me laugh out loud. Like when mm. he kind of then turns away and kind of puts on a false nose and ruffles his hair up and goes, yeah, you can't recognise me, can you? And, um, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, just sort of like quite kind to him, even though, yes, he's, he's not the most um, fantastically disguised. Yeah, his moustache is falling off, isn't he? The first time yes. she meets him. Yeah, he's got a false moustache that he, he keeps having to stick on again. That's, yeah. you know, just delightful. And... Um, Yes, I really, really liked it. So thank you very much for, for recommending it to me. So um, the book I chose, I suggested to you, is um, Flora and Ulysses, The Illuminated Adventures by Kate DiCamillo, who is um, probably best known for the tale of Despero, um, which was made into a film. I think mean, it's best known in the UK anyway. Um, but it is just delightful. So um, there's not a great deal of blurb in this, but the back says she stood at the window and watched as the squirrel was vacuumed up. Poof, thwump. Holy begumba, said Flora. And the inside uh, says, is, is this is kind of like a, almost a, an elevator pitch. She is a natural born cynic. He is an unassuming squirrel. Together, Flora and Ulysses will conquer villains, defend the defenceless and protect the weak or something. Um, what did you think? I, so I have, you did not tell me not to read it on the train. And so lots of people looked at me funny on the train because I kept laughing. And people <laughs> were like, why is this man continually guffawing? Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I I thought it was, I, I, it made me laugh uh, more than I was expecting it to. And there were a couple of bits where it really got me. Um, so I, I thought I thought it was very well matched in terms of the comedy. Um, and I really I really enjoyed the kind of the story it tells. Um, yeah. In some ways, more than the story uh, that Rebecca's World tells. Um, and I think we'll probably get into why kind of later on. Mm. Um, but no, yes, enthusiastic, uh, enthusiastic review from me for sure. Um, thank you for recommending it. Well, you're very welcome. I, I found it, um, I love it. And one of the things I love about it is that I, as a child, hated reading at school. 
most of my reading um, I did at home and an awful lot of it was comics. So I really learned how to be a reader through reading comics. And this has got comic strips in it and it's got very short chapters. So it is a very easy book to read. And the, the language is very spare. So a lot of the jokes are kind of cyclical things that come back. So like Flora's dad, always introducing himself, you know, whenever there's, you know, they go into a diner to get a donut and he introduces himself to the, wait, the waitress, you know, that kind of thing. And this is how he, even in the most strange circumstances, he still kind of observes the correct thing to do. And I, I loved that. I, I really liked her dad. I thought he was wonderful. But also, yeah. yeah, there is sort of a similarity as well in that there is a journey mm-hmm. that they go on. And it's a kind of a disparate group of people. So there's Tuti, who lives next door. Her great nephew, um, William Spiver, who's always called William Spiver. He's not Billy and he is oh. not William. He's William Spiver, who claims to... Be, uh, have a traumatic blindness uh, which becomes cured halfway through. There's Flora, the cynic, her dad, uh, the squirrel, Ulysses, who gains superpowers through um, being vacuumed up by a, um, a vacuum cleaner that's also called a Ulysses, but it's like really, really powerful. It's like a... Yeah a Dyson on steroids or something, super powerful. Um, yeah. It even vacuums up the, the grass and everything. Yes. That, that was very funny. Um, and also and there's, there's the China Shepherdess dot, uh, lamp that goes yeah. on the journey too, who's also, is, has a character. Um, she seems to be quite supercilious. Um, yes. And uh, the, the perfect girl as opposed to Flora. Hmm. Um, there is the, 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 so, so because the book opens with a comic strip and I, I was kind of thinking, Oh, is this, is this a graphic novel? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously like it, it quite quickly becomes clear. It isn't because the first, the opening comic is only kind of eight panels or something like that, but there is a brilliant bit of art with Ulysses, the Hoover, um, vacuuming the trousers off two T's partner um and he is wearing boxer shorts with tiny hearts on and i thought that was that was very well drawn um and he he does not he his sole purpose in the plot is to buy a vacuum cleaner and he is we do not interact with him again Uh, and i quite liked that just he is there because he is bad at buying birthday presents for his father why have you bought me a vacuum present yeah Yeah, uh it's just like it's brilliant and i you know i mean I, I remember when I was little, my dad got my mother a, um, a uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was some sort of very useful birthday present. And that went down, I think, I think it would be fair to say badly. Um, and so it, it reminded me a little bit of that, um, but it made me giggle. Yeah. Looks like buying a saucepan for someone's birthday, which unless they've yeah. asked for a saucepan, in which case, well, weird, yeah. but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get tweets about that about people telling me that uh, saucepans are perfectly cromulent presents. Thank you very much. Um, so the other thing that made me, which was kind of a like a, a serendipitous link, was the two un, the unlikely superhero. Mm. So um, there's Captain K uh, and Ulysses, but also because Flora really loves reading comics and her mum really disapproves of them. Um, But she loves comics uh, about, with a superhero called Incandesto, with an exclamation mark on the end, um, who becomes a superhero because he falls into a vat of cleaning fluid. So there's kind of similarities there with with Ulysses uh, as well, which is kind of how Flora gets the idea that he could be a superhero. So um so so it's it's kind of interesting because both stories have so both stories have a young girl as the protagonist. Um 
And in both stories, the young girl kind of takes the role of explaining how to be heroic to the superhero. So, so in Rebecca's world, um, Rebe- Rebecca is much more uh, heroic than Captain K at the beginning. Captain mm-hmm. K is kind of, he is heroic, but he's also quite afraid of most things um, and, and kind of, as he travels with Rebecca, this becomes less and less the case. And 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 Flora kind of explains to Ulysses, well, you know, if you've got these powers, you've got to use them for good. Like this is how superheroes work. You're a superhero now. We need to do this. Um, and it, and in both books, I mean, Rebecca's world doesn't really talk about Rebecca's parents much at all. But you you very much get the impression that they are vaguely disapproving and distant. Um, yeah. And in Flora and Ulysses, um, Flora's mother, um, who whose name I temporarily forget. I remember her husband's name because it's George, because he introduces yes. himself all the time. Um, but I don't remember the mother's Phyllis. name. Phyllis, that's right, Phyllis. Phyllis. And she's a romance author. And yes. she very much disapproves of that. Yeah. And she disapproves of the comic reading and um, well, many things. Um, and I and I I thought it was interesting kind of the, the, the relationships between the parents in both mm. um, as well. Yes, um, because the, the um, comics are something that Flora used to do with her dad when you know, her, her dad and mom lived together and she, she lived with him. So that, that's, um, that sort of has a little undercurrent there as well. It's um, sort of like Flora's mum disapproves of comics because she is um, a novelist. Flora disapproves of her mum's novels. Um, but maybe there's an, also an issue of Flora's mum not liking seeing Flora reading comics because that's something she does with her dad or used to do with her dad. So that's, yeah. uh, that's another kind of little... Um, yeah, a little sort of supposition that's in there, but but Kate Camilla does Kate de Camillo doesn't bash us over the head with it. Yeah. In some ways that could be too sad. And I think it, later in the book, and I don't want to say what it is because I think it's it's kind of slightly a spoiler, but the, the mother says something which I think makes it much more obvious why she disapproves of um Flora's kind of love of comics um but i i think that the author is clearly setting us up to think that it that it's kind of the things we're describing now before introducing kind of an extra layer to it later in the book which is quite uh well done i think um mm. and i enjoyed i enjoyed that uh the, the kind of way the mother develops over the course of the novel is interesting yeah because I- at the beginning she's very much she could be the supervillain. Mm. Well, she oh. is the what's the word? Uh, the nemesis. Yes. Yeah, um, and that's quite well done as well. Um, it's like you know, Flora explains all of the trappings of superheroism to Ulysses. Mm. Um, I think it's fair to say Ulysses is mostly more interested in in uh, in being a writer, mm. <laughs> um, uh, but. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting seeing Flora do that. And and because the whole way through the book, Flora describes herself as a cynic. Mm. Um, and, and at the start, you kind of go along with it because you're like, oh, you know, she's being very mean about her mother's romance novels. Like maybe she is a cynic. And yeah. then she like discovers a squirrel and starts to kind of teaching him, you know, how to know right from wrong and explaining how vital it is to do good things. And it becomes very clear, I think, that she's not at all a cynic. She's no. she's a very she very much values knowledge and she very much wants to know how to do things and she very much thinks doing the right thing is worth knowing how mm-hmm. to do. Um, but I I think the only thing she's really cynical about is her mother, which is I think probably fair enough. Um, yeah. I was not I was not a big fan of Phyllis in the beginning of the book. No, I think that's fair to say. no, I wasn't either, and. Um... I was glad when Phyllis did get redeemed, but yeah, she's a quite unsatisfactory mother in in many ways. Um, you know, one of the one of the big ways being that she doesn't seem to value her daughter in the way that Flora should be valued because she's hmm. 
such a delightful character. Um, I really liked her. Um, did you ever read a book called The 18th Emergency by Betsy Byers? I have not. Because there's, there's bits that are in the comic that, you know, it's that like the, the sort of 100 things that can kill you um, supplement of the comic that, that Flora has got a lot of information from. Um, but the, the bits that kept dripping into that, that reminded me very much of Betsy Byers, The 18th Emergency, which is about a quite nervous boy who has kept a list of all of these things you can do in different emergencies, like what do you do if you get stuck in quicksand or something? But then um, it comes across an emergency that he doesn't know what to do with. And I, I, that kind of reminded me, I wonder if Kate Camillo had read The 18th Emergency and whether that inspired this, this uh, comic that, um, that, that Flora is so keen on. And I um, think, no, um, I, I think that it's interesting because, so I'm about, I'm about to spoil part of the end yeah. of the novel, listeners. So um, just sort of put your fingers in your ears and shout la 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 for a bit um, if you haven't read it yet. Um, but at the end, at the end, we discover that part of the reason Flora's mother is so disapproving of her love of comics is because she is deeply worried that it will set Flora apart from other people like it's not she's worried it's not normal but I don't think she's worried because she thinks it's important to be normal I think she's worried because she thinks it will mean Flora has a hard time in school mm. and I and I wondered whether I I think her father has the same like the the, the father is described as being quite lonely um through kind of the start of the novel until he kind of discovers that flora has a superheroic squirrel and then he cheers up quite quickly mm. um but i i wonder whether the mother or whether kate de camillo is kind of saying well, well flora's dad is um obviously kind of a little bit odd and a little bit lonely and lives on his own in a in an apartment block that he doesn't enjoy and and kind of i i, I wonder whether the mother is worried that Flora will end up like her dad in that way. Um, and so I, I kind of think it helps redeem the mother because, you know, it's a very understandable motivation, although the effect has been um, very, uh, very, well, not, not, not a very good one. Um, uh, the other character I love in the book is William Spiver, who is amazing. Um because I like, he's very annoying. And there was a point in the book where I was like, will he turn out to be the nemesis? But then it becomes clear that no, he is just, he's, his heart is in the right place. He is just very annoying. Uh, and that I really liked. I liked that he's a good guy. He's just enormously condescending much of the time. Yeah. Uh, which I think is like, I, I don't know, it, it kind of, because I mean, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've met I've met people like that in my life who I'm like, you are a very nice mm -hmm. person, but you have a mode of interacting which is slightly um slightly perpendicular to what I'm used to. Um and I think in some I in, in some ways the characters in the book kind of remind me of kind of different, almost different fanish archetypes. Mm. Um kind of the dad who's kind of quiet and likes comics and and the and the character who's kind of a bit pedantic and and uses very large words um i yeah i i thought that was kind of neat um i ended up quite liking william spiver uh and i did not expect to um but again again when you learn more about him you're like oh no okay a lot of this makes a lot of sense now um yeah his... I, I i found it it funny and but also a bit awful that his mom has sent him to live with his great aunt or to stay with his great aunt during the summer holidays, precisely because he is so annoying. And I just thought that really tickled me <laughs> because it's yes. done with, it's done quite lightheartedly. Um, but it is, yeah, he is extremely irritating. But then on the other hand, uh, he and Flora come to appreciate each other. And that that's rather nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also think, it's it's interesting that I think Flora and Ulysses uses uses its story to talk much more about kind of family dynamics and relationships, mm. whereas Rebecca's world is clearly much more about. I mean, I think I think Rebecca's world is less about capitalism than Flora and Ulysses is about 
family and friendship mm-hmm. um i think rebecca's world is is probably a higher percentage just a rollicking adventure yeah. um but they're both kind of they're both they're both kind of using it to do quite different things but they're they're quite similar in terms of kind of the basic premise of kind of small girl kind of young girl who feels unappreciated by her parents goes on an adventure but also in terms of the fact that that both books kind of have that disjointed sequence of Mm. scenes like flora and ulysses is is less like that but kind of they go to a diner and then they go to an apartment block and then they do this and then they do that and it, it feels very kind of funny situations happening until it ties together at the end mm. um which which i enjoyed a lot yeah I, I agree with that i think that um i think what terry nation intended to do was write a really fun story and he did he succeeded it is a really fun story i think that possibly Kate DiCamillo did want to use a fairly simple story to talk about other things, um, which she does. She talks about friendship. She talks about loneliness. She talks about connections. She talks about family dynamics and also about a superhero squirrel, which is a hilarious, uh, hilarious thing. But um, I'm going to read the poem at the end just because I love it so much it's um squirrel poetry uh, it's called words for flora nothing would be easier without you because you are everything all of it sprinkles quarks giant donuts eggs sunny side up you are the ever-expanding universe to me and i just think that's really lovely it's quite uh heart-wrenching poetry but yeah if you're going to have a a squirrel superhero you may as well be a poet as well so I find that very delightful no yeah I I liked I liked the squirrel's point of view a lot Mm. um I thought it said because it gives you an excuse to say things about relationships that a human wouldn't think as clearly as a squirrel who has only recently started having to think about these things. Um, and so I quite liked, I quite liked, um, I think that was a way of kind of making some of the subtext kind of more literal on the page mm. by using the excuse that you're doing it from the perspective of a small squirrel, um, which I liked. And his first poem that he writes, of course, uh, he goes into Tutti's house and is using her, her word processor. And he writes, I am hungry. And William Spiver says, what do you think he means by that? And Flora says, <laughs> I think he's hungry. <laughs> and that, that also really made me laugh. I thought it was really funny. So, sort of, maybe you're looking too deeply into this, which is a warning to all um, scholars of literature, I think. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> if something, uh, if a, a sentence just says what it, means what it says you know yeah. and there is nothing more to it which you know possibly excuse me possibly terry nation would would say as well you know this yeah. is this is just a story but then it's a great story so where where can people find you online john i am on um the podcast octthorpe which can be found on uh podbean.com slash octothought podcast hang on why is it podbean.com slash i should know where my own podcast is <laughs> shouldn't I? uh but yes fine i'll uh, put it in the show notes <laughs> Um, but yes, so I do a podcast called um Octothorpe, which is octothorpe.podbean.com uh, or in all good podcast listening apps and several quite naff ones um i'm also at procrastinations.uk um where you can kind of find my fan writing and stuff like that uh and i'm kind of about the place um as as myself kind of i use my real name on social media and stuff so if you see me on twitter or facebook or discord um please do say hi it's fabulous and um, one of your one of your podcast uh, conspirators 
uh, Alison Scott, um, who was on this podcast earlier, has made us listen to that nurture goodness. Some badges. Which will come to you, John, because badges are um there we go. Oh, they're so, they're so pretty. Aren't they pretty? Yeah. So, so as the, the design by um Bareface Lady, my friend Tara. So um they can be got for um people who've been on the podcast. So I'm going to be sending them out. But also, this is an excellent bribe for getting people to attend in-person recordings. And the next in-person recording will be at Reclamation 2022, EasterCon next year. So join EasterCon and potentially you could get a badge, which I think is fair enough. It's it's a good enough reason to join a con, I think. Yep, definitely. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of Fantasy Book Swap. You can find us on Twitter at Fantasy Swap. Still so dodgy. Facebook at Fantasy Book Swap or by email, um, fantasybookswap at gmail.com. You can subscribe at most of your favorite podcast places or download from Podbean. Thanks to Steve Vapertails for production assistance and Jack Sadler Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. Until next time, bye.